0: This is the Relic Radio Show. Old-time radio entertainment still standing the test of time from RelicRadio.com. Welcome back to the Relic Radio Show. I've got another 60 minutes of radio drama for you this week, beginning with The Whisperer. We'll hear Stanley Hayes must die by midnight a story from September 2nd, 1951. After that, it's Chicago Deadline from Screen Directors Playhouse. That story aired March 24th, 1950. The Whisperer. The
1: Whisperer. The Whisperer. Roger speaking. Rogers. Listen carefully. Go ahead. The syndicate has waited long enough. Stanley
2: Hayes must die. Stanley Hayes? Yes. You will find him before
1: tomorrow night. But I. When I don't. When you have... find him, you will kill him. But that isn't much time. If Stanley Hayes is not dead by. Midnight tomorrow,
3: you will be
4: presenting The Whisperer, starring Carlton Young. A Whisper, a brilliant man who, losing his voice in an accident which crushed his vocal cords, worked his way deep within the crime syndicate to help destroy it from within. To the underworld, his familiar rattling hiss is the voice of authority, to be obeyed without question. Then, a miracle of surgery performed by Dr. Benjamin Lee restored his natural voice, enabling him to resume his real identity. Now, as Philip Gauld, aggressive young attorney, he skirts the thin edges of death living his dual role. For as the Whisperer, he sets in motion the forces of the syndicate in Central City. Then, as Philip Galt, uses his knowledge to fight the organized network of crime which seeks to control the fate of millions in cities and towns across the nation. The only person besides Dr. Lee who knows the real identity of the Whisperer is the doctor's nurse, Ellen Norris. Now in Philip Galt's oak-paneled office, she listens as, in his whisperer's voice, he reports to the syndicate.
1: Circle 1798. Instructions passed on to Rogers. Stay on top of this central city. This is Rogers' first job for the syndicate and may require supervision. Where can I contact Rogers? Find Stanley Hayes and keep him under observation. If Hayes is alive at noon tomorrow, report back and we will give you full particulars on Roger.
3: Oh, Bill, that horrible voice.
1: It was the only voice I had until Dr. Lee operated on my vocal cord.
3: I know it, but I hate the sound of it. I hate the terrible things you set in motion each time you use it.
1: We've been over all that, Ellen. I'm only the voice of the syndicate. I pass along their instructions to their killers, and if I didn't, someone else would. And we wouldn't know what they were planning.
3: And you couldn't risk your life to stop them. I know all this, Phil. I know you're actually fighting them from the inside, but I still don't like it. Well, who is this Stanley Hayes, and why does he have to die?
1: I don't know. I've never heard of Stanley Hayes.
3: Well, then who's Rogers?
1: They never tell me that. The less any member of the syndicate knows about the other, the less chance the law enforcement agencies have of getting the evidence necessary to smash the syndicate.
3: An imported killer slips into tow. You tell him who to kill and then risk your life to stop the murder.
1: This is the first time I've ever told a trigger man that he'd be taken care of if he failed in his mission. I
3: wonder what it's all about. Well, let's start with the victim, Stanley Hayes. He can't be very well known in Central City, but he's probably in the city directory or the phone book. You take the phone book. Right. I'll look in the directory. How do
1: you spell it? I don't know whether it's with an E or not.
3: I'm looking under H A Y S.
1: You started from the back of the book. I always do. Oh, uh, I'm more methodical. I'm in the haze with an E. It
3: isn't under Hayes without an E.
1: Nor under Hayes with an E. Let's
3: try the reverse order now.
1: Okay. Uh, have you seen the name in the papers lately?
3: Not that I can remember.
1: Well, in the phone book, it isn't under Hayes without an E. Mm
3: getting sick tongued on this with an E, without an E business. But it isn't in the
1: directory. Well, let's go down and check with Lieutenant Denvers. Maybe he can help.
3: He'll be suspicious of any questions you ask. I think he sometimes thinks that you're connected with the syndicate.
1: Well, I've got to keep him away from that suspicion, Ellen. Because the day he can prove anything on me, I'll lose my freedom. And I'm just old-fashioned enough to cherish that heritage of my American forefathers. <laughs>
0: morning, Sergeant Potts. Huh? Oh, oh hi, Mr. Galt, Miss Norris.
3: What happened to the good Lieutenant Enbridge?
0: Ah, somebody did something and he's chasing him. Be back Wednesday. What can I do for you? I have a legal matter to take up with a man named Stanley Hayes. Hayes? Hayes? How do you spell it? With Without an, an E. Well, make up your mind. <laughs> uh, the spelling isn't important. All right, try the city directory.
3: I did. From Aardvark to Zoik. Is
0: that a phone book? From Arrington to... Wait a minute, what happened to Aardvark? Drop for non payment of his telephone bill. <laughs> I'll play Santa Claus for you. I'd like to find a lawyer that doesn't know more than us poor dumb cops. Water levels are falling. Use
5: less water. Hello? What? City Water Department, that's our new slogan. Water levels are Never
0: falling. Never mind. Sergeant Potts, Police Department. huh? Police
5: Department is nine. Nine. I
0: know that. I'm in the police department. I want some information.
5: Information is three, five, Listen, five... Listen, Einstein, of... I want
0: to know if you have a subscriber by the name of Stanley Hayes.
5: How do you spell it?
0: How do I know? Uh, how do you spell it? Try both ways. Try both ways. Try it both ways.
5: I'll try it both ways. I have a Stanley R. Hayes, H as in honey, A as in aardvark, Y as in Y, and S as in...
0: S. What's the address? One
5: two six Third Avenue South. Gotcha. There is also a meter for Stanley T. Hayes, H as in haberdashery, A as in anaphygistine, Y as in ebrotherial, E as in endomorphical, and S as in Sam.
0: What's his address?
5: Sam. No,
0: Hayes.
5: 247, Bell Fountain Road.
0: Thanks. Uh, wait, I never heard of endomorphical.
5: You haven't? No. Well, neither have I, but there should be such a word. Remember, our water supply is getting shorter. Don't use more water than you water.
0: Oh. Here, take these addresses and get out of here. I'm a candidate for the booby hatch. Don't use more water than your order. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Mr. Hayes of at 3rd Avenue South lives in a pretty ratty part of town.
3: Oh, you don't live down here. You crawl out of the woodwork. If
1: I were painting a mural of this section, I'd have a slit go rampant upon a field of bloody blackjacks.
3: This looks like a reject from Dandy's Inferno. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah? Uh, I want to talk to you.
3: He ain't say nothing, nothing until I see him a lawyer. Mr. Galt is a lawyer. Oh,
1: What did you say your name was? a uh, Galt. Any relation to Gatlin, Gun Gold, the pride of Portland? I don't think so. Oh, it's too bad, too bad. Great little scrapper, great. Never won a fight. Um, Mr. Hayes, we've made a mistake. I'm sorry. Oh, you don't happen to be a fight manager? I'm afraid not.
3: We'd better be going.
1: We could make a fortune, a fortune. You line him up and I'll knock him down. There's millions in it. What do you say? Uh, I'm not a manager, but uh, take this 20 and bunk it down at the diner. We'll need food to keep in conditioned. Yeah, yeah, I will adapt. that, will adapt. Thanks, mister. Uh, what did you sing your name was? The Galt. Thanks. Thanks again. Sure wish you was manager.
3: Oh, how horrible.
1: Fight game has big rewards. For a few.
3: Poor, hopeless old darling. Lost in a world of shadows. Yes.
1: Yeah. I don't believe the syndicate is interested in that, Mr. Hayes. Now, let's try the one who lives on Bell Fountain Road. If this isn't our Mr. Hayes, we are fresh out of leaves.
3: Well, there's one consolation. If we can't find him, neither can Rogers.
1: I hope so. Yes? Uh, my name is Galt. I'm a lawyer, and I'm trying to find a Mr. Stanley Hayes. Well, Uncle's name is Stanley Hayes. May I speak with him? Well, Uncle isn't here. left on his vacation. Oh. I wonder if perhaps you might be able to help me. Well, I'll be glad to try. Oh, this is Miss Norris. Mr... Uh, My name is Stanley, named after Uncle.
3: How do you do? Uh,
1: Won't you come in? Thank you. When did your Uncle leave? Oh, yesterday. Can I contact him? I'm afraid not. Uncle never makes plans. Uncle drives until he decides to stop.
3: That's the kind of vacation I've always wanted.
1: Isn't that an indefinite way to go? Um, Uncle is indefinite about everything. I've lived here six months, and I know nothing about him. How he was able to retire, whether he's on a small pension, has investments, or annuities. Then why would someone want to kill him? Kill him? Oh, Uncle hasn't an enemy in the world. This is very confusing. Well, if you leave your card, I'll have Uncle contact you. Thank you. Here's the card. Oh,
3: Bill, look at those beautiful things.
1: I beg your pardon? Oh, oh, those mounted on the wall. I see several beauties. That one must weigh eight pounds. Eight pounds, 11 ounces. It's Uncle's pride and joy. Every summer he goes to the coast and fishes as far down as time allows.
3: I envy him. So
1: do I. Thank you for your hospitality. Well, I wish it could be more.
3: Goodbye. Goodbye. Well, we know that Uncle likes to fish. Uncle likes to disappear each summer. And Uncle is therefore safe from the syndicate.
1: And nephew is either no fisherman or a liar. Or both.
3: I don't follow you,
1: If Uncle has gone to fish, then he's not on the coast. For those fish mounted on the wall were fresh-watered Lake
3: Opachuki. Right.
1: It's the only lake within 100 miles where you catch fish like those.
3: I could do with an outing.
1: I'm going to call Lake Opachuki and see if Mr. Stanley Hayes is up there. Then I'll call the syndicate and see if we have the right Stanley Hayes. Circle 179. City. Go ahead, Central City. Unable to locate Stanley Hayes. Where does he live? His address was purposely omitted from your instructions. Without this information, I cannot check on Rogers. Hayes resides at 247 Bell Fountain Road.
3: Is he the right, Mr. Hayes? Yes. Is he at Opechuki?
1: The operator there didn't know. Hayes lives on an island in the middle of the lake.
3: I get my outing?
1: Yes. If we hurry, we can make it by sundown.
3: Hmm. The lake is larger than I imagined.
1: Twenty miles across. Hayes' cabin on the island out there is ten miles from shore.
3: What are you doing?
1: I'm putting more gas in the outboard.
3: Have a run, listening championship. By the
1: time I reach the island, I'll be an expert. Now, are you ready?
3: If I lived on that island, I'd hire the Queen Mary to go back and forth. It's going to be dark before we get there.
1: I know it. But I'll navigate by celestial bodies.
3: Just keep ours dry.
1: Now, I put the knot here, wind the rope around this gadget, sew, and pull.
5: Don't worry about a thing, Phil. Honestly, have you ever driven one of these
3: before? Honestly? Yes. No. Oh, Phil, I can't tell in the dark. Aren't we close to the island? Yes. Then do something.
1: I don't know what to do.
3: Put on the brakes.
4: There should be a switch.
3: In a minute, you won't have to worry about it. Where
4: did I put those instructions? Never
3: mind.
1: Careful,
4: hang on. Hang on. Oh. Uh. Hello there.
1: Anyone entered? Ellen. Oh. Ellen, you all right?
5: Where are you? Uh, uh,
1: shine. shine your flashlight
3: to your
5: left.
4: Copy. Uh. Well, what happened?
3: Gar Wood here forgot to read the 14th lesson.
1: <laughs> well, you certainly made a mess of that outboard. Hey, don't seem to have hurt the boat, though. Here, little lady, I'll give you a hand.
3: Thanks.
1: There we are. Now, what was your hurry? We're looking for a man named Stanley Hayes. (laughs) You could have come a lot slower and I'd still be here. You're Stanley Hayes? That I am. Good. Well, now, let's go up to my cabin and you can tell me what this is all about. (laughs) Ah, here we are.
6: Oh, beautiful.
1: Thank you. I've uh, just made some lemonade. Would you care for a glass?
3: That is just like Mother used to make.
1: Yes, exactly. Except that I add one ingredient that she <laughs> frowned upon. Ah, there you are, Miss Norris. And, Mr. Gold. thank you. Ah.
4: Now, tell me, what brings you to my island?
1: Well, as a lawyer, I recently obtained information which leads me to believe your life is in danger. What? Well, who would want to kill me? I hoped you could answer that. Well, I haven't the faintest notion. We uh, talked with your nephew. Oh, Stanley rogers he's a fine boy. (laughs) A little wild, but still a fine boy. Didn't he know you were up here? Oh, yes, of course, but it was supposed to be a secret. You see, I can't stand people who don't know the difference between a royal coachman and a gray hackle. Then that's why he gave us that song and dance about not knowing where you were. Oh, certainly, on my orders. Uh, Mr. Hayes, if something happened to you, who would benefit? I, uh... Everything I have goes to Stanley. May I ask, is it a large estate? 51% of the National Traction and Streetcar Company. You see, I uh, am a retiring person. I seek anonymity.
3: You certainly succeeded. That makes you one of the wealthiest men in the state.
1: Tell me, do you suspect my nephew of planning to kill me? Uh, No. Well, who then? Has a network of organized crime tried to gain control of your company? Well, not to my knowledge. If they were, I'd know it. Does this help you? Frankly, no. Well, now it's my turn. Of course. What did you intend to do when you got here? I hope to stay near you and help prevent your murder. Well, I appreciate your interest. But, uh, under the circumstances, I think, uh... You'd better return to the mainland. Now, I'm not going to shoot... I'm just not taking any chances. You don't think I'd warn you if I were here to kill you? This whole thing sounds suspicious to me. Now put your hands up, Mr. Goldfellett. Ah, you do carry a gun. I have a permit. It would still kill a man. Tomorrow, when they bring my cabin cruiser back from the mainland, I'll leave the gun at the store. I'll take this flashlight and walk ahead of me to your boat. (laughs) Mr. Hayes, promise me you'll be doubly careful of everyone until after tomorrow midnight. Don't worry about me, Mr. Galt.
3: Oops! here's the boat.
1: I uh, still don't see how we can row ten miles at night.
3: That won't be necessary. Why not? Phil, flash your light over here. Oh, no. Yes. Someone stove a hole in it as big as a wash tub.
1: Mr. Galt, turn off the flashlight. Why? Mr. Hayes has just realized that his murderer is somewhere on this island.
4: You are listening to The Whisperer, the story of Philip Galt, who skirts the thin edges of death, living his dual role. Galt, known to the underworld as the Whisperer, a voice to be obeyed without question, has given orders to Rogers, one of the syndicate's killers, to eliminate Stanley Hayes. Now in his real identity as Philip Galt's attorney at law, he and Ellen Norris are attempting to save the life of Stanley Hayes, the man marked for death. Having located Hayes on his private island, they return to their boat only to find it wrecked and the killer lurking somewhere in the darkness. My, uh,
1: my apologies, Mr. Galt. Accepted, Mr. Hayes. I hope you are not outmaneuvered. Because if I'm killed, that will leave you two marooned as the logical suspects. That would be rather difficult to explain. Let's work our way back toward the cabin. Yes. In the morning, you can use my canoe to get to the mainland. Bill. Where? To your right. Now, it's only a stump. Mr. Galt, here's your gun. Thanks. I hope we will... Bill. (laughs) Bill. Did you see him? No, but at least he's leaving the vicinity. And we'll barricade the cabin and take turns at guard. Yes. Is this man a professional killer? I would guess that he is. Then sometime tonight he'll make another attempt to earn his pay. Galt. 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 Yes. It's two o'clock. I'll take over.
3: I'm not sleepy. Let me.
1: We'll manage. On my coat, Ellen?
3: Not yet. But it is getting colder.
1: Hayes. Hayes. Uh, what? It's three o'clock. Uh, I guess I must have dozed off. Have you heard anything? Not a thing.
3: Bill. Does that offer of
1: your coat still stand? It certainly does. It gets mighty chilly up here, even in the summer. The Galt? Yes? Do you hear that? The motorboat. Yes. He's given up for now.
3: Dawn's beginning to break.
1: Wants to get away before daylight. Afraid we'll recognize him. Last night you said something about a canoe. Yes, I keep it for emergencies. Will it take the three of us to the mainland? No, only two. However, you and Miss Norris may use it.
3: And leave you here alone?
1: Miss Norris, I own this island. I can travel its length and breadth, and no one will see me unless I want them to. And we'll leave right after breakfast and be back by late afternoon. All right, Miss Norris, you can step into the canoe now.
3: (laughs) Uh,
1: careful. Somebody steady a sipping monster. Now sit down gently, Ellen. Never stand up in a canoe. As I rolled up this fish net, it'll serve as a cushion for you. Thanks. There you are, Comfy. Now,
3: ask me ten miles later. In
1: ten miles, I'll be too weak to ask you. Ready? Ready. All
3: right. Uh, happy landings. Well, that's an understatement. We'll
1: see you this afternoon. Now, correction, I'll be hidden so you won't see
3: me. Phil, tell me something. No,
1: no. I have ten miles to paddle, so I'm going to save my breath.
3: Good. You save yours, and I'll hold mine. <sighs> Phil, it only took two yeah. hours. I'm proud. Yeah,
1: I'm pooped. <clears throat> <clears throat>
5: <clears throat>
3: Well, I've had softer cushions in this fishnet. Give me a hand. My legs are full of needles. Sure.
1: Here. Uh, while I'm phoning the syndicate, you see if you can hire a motorboat or an outboard for the return trip. That'll restore your circulation.
3: Oh, you tell the syndicate.
1: Stanley Hayes is still alive.
3: And then they'll tell you who Rogers is and where to locate him.
1: Yes. When we know that, we'll figure out some way to keep him away from Hayes.
0: Circle 1798.
3: Stanley Hayes
1: is still alive. I see. Who is Rogers? Rogers is Stanley Hayes' nephew. He gave worthless checks to cover $60,000 worth of gambling debts. Upon the death of his uncle, these checks will be redeemed with interest.
3: A motorboat?
1: Uh, I tried everywhere. And if we can't rent one, neither can nephew. What has nephew to do with it? Nephew is Rogers. Oh no! I'll tell you all about it later. Now come on, we better get a head start. Then he lead it all. I can paddle as fast as he can. We can't let him get to that island. If he does, his uncle will come out of hiding, and there'll be a murder.
3: Here's the dock. Yes,
1: right. Now you get in, Ellen. There's no time to lose. <laughs>
3: The motorboat cutting out from the mainland.
1: Probably a private party.
3: We don't suppose it's Rogers.
1: Let's not think about it. we
3: well, would have no reason to suspect we know he's Rogers. Why not?
1: We tell him Central City. We think his uncle is to be murdered. Last night when we shot from ambush, he must have heard and recognized our voices. He's his uncle's heir. Everything points the to him. waiting at us. I can't recognize him.
3: I'll wait back. Maybe he'll stop. Could we put the canoe on deck? Easily. That cruiser must be all at 50 feet. Over here!
1: Yes, no! But now I see this. We'll try to bluff our way out.
3: And if we don't? Hello
6: there!
1: Make it good.
3: Going my way? I never pick up hitchhikers unless they're standing. I'm afraid you just lost the customer.
1: I'll bring us alongside. You give Ellen a lift. Glad to have
0: you. Did you get to see Uncle? Yeah. <laughs> just a little closer. All right. All right. There.
1: Uh, we uh, spent the night on the island. Now, oh, give me your hand.
0: That's it.
3: Oh, oh got my feet wet.
1: Yeah, uh, there. Well, I can manage.
3: Where'd you get this beautiful boat?
1: Oh, it belongs to Uncle. It was on the mainland for repairs. Now, give me a hand and we'll hoist the canoe aboard. Oh, just forget the canoe.
3: Forget it? Huh. I'll dream of it for months.
1: Well, hardly.
3: And why not? They're my dreams and I can do what I want with them.
1: Oh, now, let's stop this sparring. I don't know how you two learned about all this, and until now it didn't matter. If I hadn't missed last night, Uncle would be dead.
0: And you two would have been found on the island with the body. But when you saw me just now in the lake, that makes you witnesses to the fact that I went to the island. And I can't afford that.
4: It would wreck my elaborate alibi. So, you let the canoe drift.
1: We float to shore in a few days. The story gets out that Stanley Hayes is murdered by a man and a woman who later drowns. While trying to cross to the mainland in the canoe. Right.
3: <laughs> we'll just stand still while you're doing all this?
1: <laughs> that isn't a pencil pointing at you through this jacket pocket.
3: You're bluffing.
1: <laughs> Let's take a vote, shall we? Golf. Bluffing. Then I'll waste
0: a shot to prove it. <laughs> I have plenty more.
3: You've also set your pocket on fire, Mm.
0: and you have tried an old wheeze.
3: Well, then stand there and let it burn you.
4: Hey, hey, it is on fire!
0: Hitting it with his life jacket, and if that doesn't work, this will.
3: Why doesn't he come up?
1: Come on to the pilot house. He'll swim under the boat and try to sneak aboard on the other side. What
3: are you going to do?
1: I'm no outboard motor man, but I do know about cabin cruisers. I'll open the throttle and we'll cruise out a few yards. When he comes up, we'll let him come aboard or we'll follow him while he swims five miles. Now, hang on.
3: Phil! Don't cut the motor. It's a trick. That
4: was a man in agony. No, Phil. He'll get us back
3: here and he'll come up
1: somewhere else. Oh, don't look.
3: Phil, I'm a nurse and...
1: Oh swam the wrong way. When we started the mortars.
3: The propeller.
1: Yes. The syndicate will never collect its debt from Stanley Rogers.
3: The society did.
1: Yes, Alan. Another tour of the syndicate has been destroyed. Let's hope it won't be the last. <laughs> Oh, will you tell me why this had to happen? Because that octopus known as the syndicate wanted to control your multimillion-dollar traction business. They courted your nephew's acquaintance and got him in with a fast crowd. When he wrote worthless checks, they threatened him with court action unless he... That's right. He had his choice of killing you or being killed. Had he been successful, they would have held the threat of murder over him until he signed away his shares of the company. I'm terribly sorry this had to happen. It didn't have to happen. If he'd only told me...
3: Phil, we must go. Uh, Yes.
1: Uh, Take the cruiser and leave it at the mainland. If you don't mind, I won't walk down to the landing with you.
3: We understand, Mr. Hayes. Good night.
1: Good night. Oh, Mr. Gault. How do you know so much about this? I... Well, a lawyer has his own sources of information, and you realize I must protect them. Yes, yes, of course. Keep on fighting, Mr. Galt. I wish more of us could join you. Good night.
3: Well, thank heavens we don't have to go home by canoe. Still, I'll never get in one again as long as I live.
1: Never make definite statements, Ella.
3: I mean it. I wouldn't get in a canoe again to save my life.
1: Definite statements are easy to make but difficult to keep. <laughs> oh, here's the landing.
3: But where's the cruiser?
1: Well, it isn't here.
3: But it has to be.
1: Uh, look out there on the moon path.
3: Oh, no. It's the cruiser.
1: I'm afraid I didn't tie it very tight.
3: You didn't tie it, period.
1: Well, it's still away.
3: Not the canoe. Moonlight night? But I said I'd never. Water and moonlight.
6: Oh, well.
1: Lead
3: the way. The <laughs> Whisperer. Circle 1798.
1: Central City reporting. Rogers was
3: killed in boating
1: accident. We will tear up his checks. For further instructions, call Birmingham at midnight.
3: Birmingham at midnight.
4: The Whisperer is based upon stories and characters created by Stetson Humphrey. Any similarity to persons living or dead is purely coincidental. Carlton Young is starred as The Whisperer, Betty Moran is Ellen. Others in the cast were Jerry Hausner, Julius Kralbein, Peter Leeds, and Betty Lou Gerson. The Whisperer was written, produced, and directed by Bill Karn. Original music by Johnny Duffy. This is Don Rickles inviting you to listen next week to another exciting adventure with... No! It's the Silver Jubilee on NBC.
2: RCA Victor, world leader in radio, first in recorded music, first in television,
7: proudly presents... director's playhouse, star, Alan Ladd. Production, Chicago Deadline, director, Lewis Allen.
2: The Hollywood screen directors present the transcribed journal of A Phantom Search. Tonight, for the first time on the air, the motion picture drama, Chicago Deadline, starring Alan Ladd in his original role of Ed Adams. In the pale half-light of a hospital room, a man and woman stand beside a bed, watching the bright, restless eyes of Ed Adams and hearing his scattered words. Rosita,
7: didn't have to die. I had to tell them. Make them understand. Rosita. Everything and the dress book. Rosita. She didn't.
8: He's have sick, to doctor. Die. So sick.
7: Fever I had to from the wound.
8: It is a good hospital, isn't a it? You take care of him. Of course. Make them understand. Miss Purdy, you said Mr. Adams is a reporter. A reporter. Ed says they build him no, tough in Chicago.
7: Who's this Rosita?
8: Is he they in love had... with her? In a way, I guess. He must have fallen in love with her. I don't know when. Last night, today.
7: We should find her.
8: I know where she is, Doctor. Where? The city morgue. She died yesterday morning. Leona! Yes, it's Leona.
7: I... I wanted to help right? I wanted to help Rosita.
8: Ed, Ed, you can't help her anymore. Leona? You have to sleep. Tired? Sleep.
7: Sleep. Rosita. Listen, Rosita. You gave me a deadline until you were buried. I had till then to find out your story, to tell them the truth about you. And now they'll. they'll bury you tomorrow. I tried, Rosita, from the beginning, yesterday morning.
6: I run a straight hotel, Ed.
7: Maggie, I told you there's ten bucks in it if anything happens to your hotel. You call me at the Chronicle before you call the cops.
6: Well, I did, Ed.
7: All right, here's your ten bucks. Now, what's up?
6: Right in this room here, there's a girl. She's dead.
7: Yeah, what killed
6: her? She's never died. Sick, Ed. TB.
7: Oh, I paid ten bucks to find out a girl died from TB in this flea trap.
6: What'd you expect, Ed? Lincoln's assassination.
7: Well, let's have a look at her. Why, she's just a kid.
6: Yeah, pretty kid, too.
7: Great way to check out, isn't it? What's her name, Maggie?
6: Oh, it's French or something. Rosita, Rosita Jean Dure.
7: Rosita Jean Dure. You she have any baggage?
6: Yeah, those few things on the dresser, Ed.
7: The worldly possessions of Rosita Jean Dior. Lipstick, nail file, address book. Names, phone numbers. <laughs> Must be half a hundred.
6: Did you find nothing interesting?
7: It's hard to say, Maggie. You'll go, go back to the office make about 50 phone calls and find out. Okay, Pig, I fixed it with the city desk. Yeah? You're working with me on the story.
4: What's the deal, Ed, all this fuss about an address book?
7: I borrowed it, Pig. A sweet-faced kid named Rosita Jean Dure. She died this morning. So? So a girl nobody knows cocks off in a crummy hotel room. No friends, no relatives, just an address book full of names. What names? Read them. Solly Wellman, gangster. Blackie Franchot, gangster. John Spingler, gangster.
4: So oh, she knew people.
7: And that means that people knew her. But every time I ask about Rosita Jean Dure, they get sudden attacks of galloping amnesia. No kidding. Listen in. Let's try this name, Gigi Temple.
4: Temple? he's a big wheel, Ed. President of the Iroquois Trust.
6: Hello?
7: Mr. Temple? Yes? Ed Adams, Chronicle. How did you get my private number? From Rosita Jean Dure, just before she died this morning. I never heard of her. Oh? Funny, she had your private number, is it? Mr. Isn't? Adams, if the Chronicle
4: connects my name with this woman, I'll sue the paper for every cent it has.
7: See, pig? Just a girl nobody ever heard of. Let's try the next one. Hello? Tommy? Yes? This is a friend of Rosita's, Tommy. Oh? She died this morning. Hello? Tommy? I'm a newspaper man, Ed Adams. I was wondering, Tommy, could you identify the body for us? Yes. Can you make it at 8 o'clock tonight at the morgue? Yes. Tommy? Tommy? Well, at least somebody admits knowing her.
4: Some fun. Let's try again, huh?
7: Here's Belle Dorset, listed at the Lander Lander Arms.
6: Lander Arms?
7: Belle Dorset, please. Hello. Hello, Belle. That's a friend of Rosita's. Rosita? She just died, Belle.
6: I don't know her. I never heard of her. Let me alone.
4: Just a girl, pig.
7: And you bounce the corpse down the street and suddenly you've got the place all to yourself.
4: What next, Strongheart?
7: Next? First, I want to call back the operator at the Landor and offer a fin to find out where Belle Dorset goes if she leaves the apartment house.
4: Gotcha.
7: I'm going hunting with Rosita's address book until I find out why and how. I'm getting sore, pig.
8: So you're the guy the newspaper phoned about.
7: That's right. What about Belle Dorset? Did she leave after that phone call?
8: Bag and baggage, son. No forwarding address.
7: Next in the book, Mr. John Spingler. You hear about Rosita? What about her? She's dead, Springfield. T.B. I don't know her, but I'll stick her to a funeral. You'll keep it quiet. All right, Rosita, let's try the next name in your address book. Let's try Leona Purdy. Hi. Leona Purdy?
8: Yeah. This is where the party is. Come on in. Thanks. Well, who's friend of a friend are you?
7: I'm a friend of Rosita's. Who are you? I'm a reporter, Ed Adams.
8: Want to tell me about it, Ed?
7: Want to tell me about Rosita? Why? She's dead. Oh. Talk, Leona? Not now. When?
8: Later. Don't look at me like that. I... I promise I won't make a pass at you.
7: My mother will be glad to know. Now, if you'll pardon me, baby, I'm going to go and cool off. Where? The city morgue. Is that her, Tony? Yes, that's
0: her. That's Rosita. Rosita. Who was she? My sister. Tell me about her, Tommy. She ran away when she was only 17. Married a fellow named Paul Jean Deux. Where is he now? He was killed in an automobile accident four years ago, but she wasn't happy with him. She was terribly hurt by something that happened to their marriage. And after he died? Rosita came here to Chicago. She moved around a lot. But every year on my birthday, we had dinner.
7: Ed. Yeah? Pig's on the phone at the office holding the
4: call for you on the board.
0: Okay.
7: Hello?
4: Ed, I got Blackie Francho on the board. He called in. You remember him?
7: Yeah, sure. He's in Rosita's book. Big shop mobster about a year or so ago. buddy him on, Pig. Hello? Hello, Blackie. This is Adams. Yeah, hey, I want to tell you about Rosita. Well, I'll be right over. Hurry it up, Adams. I want...
4: <laughs> Rosita
7: loved her. Blackie, who was it? Who shot you? I just killed Blackie Franchot. Adams, be smart. Leave it alone. Forget
4: Rosita. Ed, this is Peg at the office. Who was that guy?
7: How do I know? We just had a direct line to Blackie Franchot's murder.
4: why do he have to go and get himself killed off
7: now? Why? Because a girl died this morning. A girl nobody ever heard of. A girl named Rosita. <laughs>
2: Welcome to the Screen Director's Playhouse production of Chicago Deadlines, starring Alan Ladd and presented by RCA Victor. If you're a typical American anywhere between the ages of 3 and 93, you'll have the time of your life the day you install your RCA Victor television set. When you go see the latest RCA Victor models, you're bound to be impressed by such imperial instruments as the TA-169. It brings you RCA Victor's supreme achievement in every field of electronic entertainment, all in one beautiful cabinet. AM and FM radio, a phonograph to play all three record speeds, plus 16-inch eyewitness television from every angle of finest television in the world. There are two record changers. The amazing RCA Victor 45 RPM 7-inch records have their own changer with all its added advantages and conveniences, and a second changer plays 78 and 33 and a third RPM records. See the TA-169 at your RCA Victor dealers. It's 16-inch. It's an RCA victor. It's every inch a king. (laughs) And now back to the Screen Director's Playhouse production of Chicago Deadline, starring Alan Ladd in his original role of Ed Adams.
7: You see, I... I tried, Rosita. I found a few scraps of your life, bits and pieces, and the people who wouldn't talk and those who did. I found out that Blackie Franchot loved you. He told me as he died. I left the morgue, Rosita, and started for his apartment. I just stepped out of the cab, and then I found another piece of your life. Adams! Sally Wellman... I've been wondering when you would turn up. Get in the car. We can talk. Won't that be nice? Now, why would I turn up, Adams? You left your calling card and Rosita Jean d'Or's address book. Too bad about Rosita. Too bad about Blackie Franchot. What happened to him? An hilarious attack of murder. Sally, what did Rosita have to do with this? Nothing. I'll find out, Look, Adams... Nobody likes to hurt reporters, but sometimes a wise guy brings it on himself. That's the end of our talk. Here's where you get out. Maybe next time we talk, Wellman, I can make it more exciting. I said get out. Yeah. Thanks for the ride. Hello, Leona.
8: Well, the man did come back.
7: On business?
8: At this time of night? Get out of my apartment.
7: Blackie Franchot was shot tonight.
8: Oh. oh, Ed.
7: That means something, huh?
8: Ed, forget Rosita. You'll get into trouble.
7: I'm already in trouble. Where does Blackie fit in? How does it happen that a guy who loved her gets knocked off after she's dead? I
8: don't know, Ed. Rosita and I were roommates. Blackie Franchot was in the rackets, but a nice guy. He made a play for Rosita. But first she didn't want any part of him. Then she began to trust him, like him, and love him. What happened? Our party one night. A lot of big shots were there. Yeah, who? A guild gunman named Solly Wellman.
7: Oh, we've met.
8: And a dollar-happy financier named G. G. Temple.
7: Of the Iroquois Trust. He's another guy who made Rosita's edition of Who's Who. And Rosita was at the party with Blackie?
8: Well, they were dancing together. Then John came over and tapped Blackie on the shoulder.
7: John? John who?
8: John Spingler, He works for Solly Wellman.
7: Big-hearted Spingler, He wants to stake Rosita to a funeral.
8: He told Blackie that Solly Wellman wanted to see him.
7: Who was Solly with?
8: His girl, Belle Dorset.
7: Belle Dorset, sure. There must have been some party. Why? Because all those names turned up in Rosita's address book. They must have given her something to remember.
8: I guess they did. Because as soon as Blackie left her to talk to Solly, another man asked her to dance. It was Gigi Temple.
7: How big a play did he make?
8: Very big.
7: What about Blackie Franchot?
8: He was still number one with Rosita. Then she visited him one evening. She found him beaten to a pulp. Rosita took him out of town. He recovered, but his nerve was gone. He ran away. And Rosita? We lost each other. But I heard she was doing all right.
7: With Gigi Temple?
8: That's right. With Gigi Temple.
7: Strange kid. How does it all fit together, Leona? She was tied in with Blackie, and Blackie's dead. She was tied in with Temple, and he's scared green. So is Solly Wellman. So is John Spingler. What's the
8: connection? Spengler worked for Wellman. That's all I know.
7: I... I wonder what Rosita was really like. Leona, I... I can't get her face out of my mind.
8: She was all right, Ed. Like a... Fine locomotive that hits the wrong switch and rides onto the wrong track.
7: Yeah. Who pulled the switch? Who, who let her die?
8: She was sick.
7: So that makes it all right, huh? No, Ed. No. Somebody was responsible. Somebody in that little address book of hers.
8: Where are you going?
7: Oh, I don't know. Walk, think, pull names out of a hat. It'll be morning soon. Maybe by then. Maybe we'll be able to do something for this. Good night, baby. Pig, think it isn't working. None of it hangs together.
4: Boy, this Rosita was some doll. We had a barrier right here in the city room. I don't be cute. Not now. Okay, okay. I'm still trying to track down Belle Dorset.
7: Stick with it, Pig. Check on John Spengler, the heart of gold who offered to bury Rosita.
4: Somebody else did, too, Ed. Moore got an envelope with 500 bucks in
7: it. Pig, I want you to arrange a funeral for me. Tomorrow morning, small and quiet, and no circusing. Right. Where are you going now? I'm going to crash the private office of G.G. G. Temple.
1: I told you once, Adam,
7: stay out of my hair All I want to do is thank you, Mr. Temple For what? For $500 for Rosita's funeral I don't know what you're talking about You knew Blackie Franchot, didn't you, Temple? And Solly Wellman and Belle Dorset and John Spengler You were with them at the party where you met Rosita Now see here, Adam That was for a big financial man like you, Temple Do you want to hear more? I do not. You went crazy over Rosita. But she wouldn't have any part of you until Blackie Franshaw was mugged and run off. A guy named Solly Wellman did it. You work well together, don't you, Temple? You and Solly Wellman. Get out of this office. Sure. Kind of warm in here, isn't it? It'll get warmer, pal. Just for example. Let's look at Rosita's address book. I think I'll pay a call on Mr. Hotspur-Shainer. Then a woman named Hazel. Mean anything, Mr. Temple? Mr. Adams, I can't believe that Rosita is dead. She was the finest young woman I've ever met. How did you meet her? My nephew brought her to the house, John Spengler. Spengler? Rosita left me about four months ago, suddenly... I think she and my nephew had a spat of some kind. So tight, Shainer. I'll get it. Hello?
2: Mr. Shainer. Who's this? The police homicide. You got a nephew by the name of John Spengler? What about him? He was found shot to death in a ditch one hour ago.
7: Hazel, you say you were Rosita's main.
6: She was a nice person, Mr. Adams.
7: Then why did you leave her?
6: I didn't exactly leave. She came home one night with Mr. Temple. They were quarreling. I heard her scream in a kind of a thud. Then Mr. Temple came in, and he told me that Miss Rosita was going away, that she wouldn't need me no more.
7: Is that all you know, Hazel?
6: That's all I know.
4: Ed, why am I glad you followed? What's up, Pig. We just got a police report. Gigi Temple has committed suicide. Blew his brains out.
7: Sure. Sure he would. All right, pig. That clears up most of it. Have you got a line on Belle Dorset yet?
4: Well, I meant to tell you about that. She's staying at her mother's. Here's the address. 674 West Hartford.
7: Hello, Belle.
8: How did you find me? What do you want?
7: Some talk about Rosita.
5: I don't know anything.
7: I do. I know Solly killed Blackie Franchot. Blackie hated Solly like death because of that beating, and I know Temple was financing Solly in the rackets.
6: I don't want to hear anymore. I don't want to listen.
7: Blackie was afraid to move in on Solly Wellman because he thought they had Rosita. When he heard Rosita was dead, well, Solly knew it was either him or Blackie, and Solly got there first.
6: Go on, Adams.
7: Keep talking. Right into the gun. Solly Wellman. Tough Solly Wellman. Break a girl apart for a buck. How do you figure it? Gigi Temple. When he had that fight with Rosita, he knocked her down. She was unconscious. But he was sap enough to think he'd killed her. And he called you Solly. The only one who could get rid of the body for him. You're making lots of noise. But you found out Rosita was alive. You wanted her dead. Out of the way so you could shake down Gigi Temple. And you made a mistake, Solly. You gave her to John Spingler. So? Spingler didn't kill her. He liked her. So he took her to his uncle's place to hide on. Everything was fine until Spingler began getting amorous. He forced Rosita to run away. She was alone again now. Alone and beaten and ashamed. And she just gave up. She gave up and died. Solly, you killed Blackie out of fear and you killed Spingler for double-crossing you, And you scared Gigi Temple into suicide. A triple play, Solly. Congratulations. Not a triple play, Adams. Four part harmony. Because you're so smart, you're the fourth part. What about Belle here? Going to kill your girl too, Solly? She knows now. Solly? Sure, I... maybe we can rig up something. Maybe the two of you together. You know. Double shooting. Solly! You rotten gun heavy! <laughs> you asked for it, Adams.
6: Solly, turn around. You killed him. He was going to kill me.
8: Operator? Mr. Adams has been shot. Call an ambulance.
7: they'll know, Rosita. They'll know all of it. You'll be buried tomorrow and maybe maybe there'll be somebody to care. I'm sorry, Rosita. Truly sorry. But you were important. Everybody's important. Now they'll know, Rosita. They'll know all of your story.
6: Ed.
8: Ed, you should be sleeping. Hmm. Hello, Leona. Hello, Ed. You were restless, talking. What about Rosita? Her story. What was it, Ed?
7: Just a story. Read it in the papers. <laughs>
2: This is Jimmy Wallington speaking. You have just heard the last act of Chicago Deadline. Our star, Alan Ladd, and our guest screen director, Lewis Allen, will be with us in just a moment. Next Friday, the Screen Director's Playhouse is proud to present a performance by one of Hollywood's greatest actresses, the winner of this year's Academy Award. Our story is The Dark Mirror, and recreating her original role will be Olivia de Havilland with Screen Director Robert Ciadbeck. Now, here to get us tonight's star... Alan Ladd. Alan, they really make it tough for you in some of your screen roles. Well, how do you mean, Jimmy? Well, first you meet the girl, then you lose the girl. I'd say that's really tough luck for charming guys like you and me, of course. It (laughs) certainly
7: is, Jimmy. But, you know, in real life, I got
2: the girl. You certainly did, Alan, and lived happily ever after on that ranch of yours. With four handsome children. And don't forget all the horses. And a ranch house equipped with the world's finest automatic phonograph, an RCA Victor 45. And a stable. And a large library of the 45 records, which I'll bet includes everything on four feet, from Dennis Day's The Horse Told Me to Alan Jones' Donkey Serenade.
7: Well, you're right there, Jimmy, and some of my best friends are people, too. I've got 45 mutual tickets on thoroughbreds like Toscanini, Heifetz, Horowitz, the whole field. They pay off big when it comes to musical entertainment and they don't take up much room in my stall.
2: Yes, Alan, as you well know, the 45-table phonograph itself is less than a foot square. A compact little beauty in dark maroon with golden trimming and so lightweight you can carry it under one arm and you can line up 150 of the 45 records on one foot of ordinary bookshelf.
7: 150 to one, Jimmy. Even kids will go for those odds.
2: Say, Alan, one of your
7: boys is only three, isn't he? Yes, little David. He's still too small to lick his weight in lollipops, though.
2: Well, can he operate your 45 phonograph? Like a breeze, Jimmy. That ease of operation is one reason why the 45 is the fastest selling of all recorded music systems. And, of course, another reason is the price. The 45 phonograph, the one which all the lads are crazy about, costs as little as $29.95. The 45 automatic record changer can be had for $12.95. And prices on the record start as low as 46 cents plus tax. So see your RCA Victor dealer soon and set your home life to the music of the 45.
7: Ladies and gentlemen, you might think that the appropriate director for Chicago Deadline would be a former newspaper man born in Chicago. You'd be wrong. He's a former merchant seaman born in England. And if you ask why he's appropriate, it's because the guy can do anything. Now I'd like you to meet him. The versatile director of such other pictures as The Uninvited, The Perfect Marriage, and So Evil My Love, Lewis Allen. Thank you, Allen.
1: You know, with Chicago Deadline, I'm convinced I made motion picture history. How, Lou? I directed a film in which Allen Ladd didn't get the girl.
7: Well, you have to admit Rosita was a hard girl to strike up a conversation with. On the other hand, Alan, as I listened to the show tonight, I thought she made the ideal leading lady. Are you speaking as an actor or a director? Oh, definitely as a director. In the first place, she showed absolutely no temperament. An angel to work with. Exactly. In the second place, we didn't have to pay her. Financially sound. And in the third place? In the third place, it was a pleasure to have no love scenes to direct. (laughs) Lou, you were speaking as a director. Now speak as an actor. As an actor, I despise a director who gave me a leading lady like that. Good night, Alan. Good night, Lou. And no hard feelings. Good night, everyone.
2: And good night to you, Alan Ladd and Lewis Allen. Remember, next Friday, the two-time Academy Award winner, Olivia de Havilland, in The Dark Mirror, with screen director Robert C. Admak. brought to you by RCA Victor, world leader in radio, first in recorded music, first in television. Part of $67 million is yours, not to receive, but to give. Your donation to the Red Cross will bring new health and hope to the sick, the disaster-stricken, the defenseless. All of us, every single person, can help through the American Red Cross. Chicago Deadline was presented through the courtesy of Paramount Pictures, whose latest release is Riding High, starring Bing Crosby. Alan Ladd will soon be seen in the Paramount picture, Captain Carrie, USA. Lewis Allen's latest production for Paramount is United States Mail, also starring Alan Ladd. Chicago Deadline, from a novel by Tiffany Thayer, was adapted for radio by Richard Allen Simmons. And original music was composed and conducted by William Lava. Screen Director's Playhouse is produced by Howard Wiley, with dramatic direction by Bill Karn. Portions of this program were transcribed. You are invited to listen again next Friday when RCA Victor presents...
7: Screen Director's Playhouse, star Olivia de Havilland, production The Dark Mirror, director Robert Siadmak. Now hear Jimmy, the great Rupert Durante, next on NBC.
0: There's more from The Whisperer, Screen Directors Playhouse, The Relic Radio Show, and everything else Relic Radio at the website, relicradio.com. You can donate while you're there if you'd like to help support this and all of the shows. It's how all of this is made possible. Thank you, as always, to those who have helped out. Thanks for joining me this week. Be back again next Tuesday with another hour of The Relic Radio Show.